0: Welcome to Inside Scoop with Sean Emery, where we will continuously bring you closer to companies, sectors, and themes. This recording should not be construed in any manner whatsoever as a substitute for personalized individual advice from Avery & Company. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies mentioned. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. All right. Hey, everyone. So this is a slightly different version of what are they up to. There's a lot of things going on. We have earnings. We have different types of IPOs that fit right within our innovation blocks. I am here with Chris Fuentes, one of our analysts. He is going to help me uh, look at and discuss some of the interesting topics that we're seeing. So as a, a, a disclaimer, this is not a recommendation to purchase or sell any securities mentioned. And this is for educational purposes only. Reach out to Houston Hess, our head of operations and compliance, uh, if you have any further questions. So some of the topics we did want to cover today are around some of the big tech uh, uh, earnings that came out. So think uh, Apple, Facebook, Google, Amazon, Microsoft. There's a lot of interesting themes within that. We also have some noise or or interesting IPOs that have come out that – Again, fit within our innovation blocks. Uh, one being commerce evolution, the other one really being around financial evolution. So we'll talk on uh, Poshmark, ThreadUp, My Teresa, which recently went public, uh, Capri, and Tapestry. Also, uh, uh, reported earnings, and then lastly, again, we'll talk about financial revolution, which really involves PayPal. Squarehouse has yet to report, and then also maybe some some color around uh, our thoughts on. How Robinhood fits within this whole concept. Now, I wanted to welcome Chris. So, Chris, how are you doing?
1: Pretty good, Sean. How about you?
0: Good, good. Um, So, busy week for sure. Uh, What I wanted to do, let's kick it off with the the big tech. So, at a high level, I think there was three clear takeaways. Uh, You have simply this the sheer scale of of and size of these platforms. So, when you take Apple, Amazon, Google, Microsoft. You combine that, you take, you have roughly three hundred and milli three hundred billion dollars of annualized net income, um, which is the equivalent of uh, essentially the S and P five hundred. Um, so sheer size and scale of these platforms and still growing robustly. The second one is cloud and some of the implications of what we saw within uh, Microsoft, Google, and Amazon's cloud businesses, and then also commerce. Uh, a lot going on there. I wanted to start with commerce and maybe get some of your your insights and, and thoughts around the trends taking place there.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think you said it right. So two takeaways were just not only the, the sheer scale of these companies, uh, but also how quickly they continue to grow uh, despite their size. So, you know, right off the bat, right, we had Amazon this week, uh, which provided a really interesting earnings report. And so clearly, you know, it's addressing uh, several end markets there in terms of cloud and commerce. But just on the commerce front, uh, you know, very, very interesting. Um, you know, it's scraping almost half a trillion dollars if you think about gross merchandise volume, and that's growing incredibly quickly. And so one stat that they put out, which was actually quite fascinating, was the uh, the square footage in the logistics system grew by 50%. So, um, so not only, like you said, are they incredibly massive, but they continue to grow at um, you know an incredibly uh fast pace and so uh clearly that that was one company And then you also have other players like Facebook uh, which is starting to move into the commerce space today and you're also seeing that kind of at an inflection point um with things like Instagram Shops etc growing at about um you know the other revenue category right was a triple digit uh plus 156 uh year on year growth rate so again you know these are businesses that are already at scale but continue to execute really well and continue to grow uh pretty quickly
0: yeah, no, definitely. I think uh, when when you take that logistics uh, part of the equation, and, and the sheer size of Amazon logistics, um, you can really think years out and the implications of that. I think it really comes down to speed of delivery and the type of delivery that they can handle. Obviously, we have companies that we we track, follow, or invest in that are uh, either sit on top or or on the side of what Amazon is building, uh, and some of the challenges has been timing of, of delivery, but also, again, size of, of packages. So as they continue to build this out, you can think about the future of, of commerce through those lens and how much commodity goods or, or just goods in general can flow through this platform. We saw them announce uh, the pharmacy business last month. And again, this happens, This has to do with their capabilities of logistics. You can't do this without the, the proper logistical infrastructure. And so again, if you take those two things—just the sheer size and, and and square footage that is being built out—and the purpose of that build out—you uh, can start to think about all the other uh, uh, types of products that can flow through their platform. And, and yeah, I agree. The Instagram, as everyone probably knows, anyone that follows us on on uh, Twitter or anything out there, uh, we've been big component or uh, proponents of of Instagram and, and its capabilities. There, we think that instagram is essentially the digital mall in a sense but with uh 100x more traffic in terms of digital traffic than a traditional mall which is relying on foot traffic and and uh this month we'll have a couple guests whether it's uh place or ai or or some others from interesting companies that are tracking foot track traffic so uh uh make sure to subscribe and you'll you'll be able to see those in the future but but i do think it's very very interesting what's happening at big tech outside of just sheer tech Um, now the next topic really is around cloud of these businesses. And when you start to look at the stats, it's really the big three, right? It's AWS, Microsoft Azure, and Google cloud. Uh, just some rough numbers here is, is AWS is growing at uh, roughly 28% year over year. This is a run rate business of roughly $51 billion. Um, so this is kind of the second order effect of what Amazon built. We all know Amazon as a cloud company, I mean, as a commerce company, uh, the the fact that Andy Jassy is now stepping in as uh, the CEO says a lot about their interest and continued development within cloud. Now Microsoft Azure is the number two; it's about half the size, a little more than half the size, growing at roughly twice twice the speed. And now there's reasons for why companies are choosing either or, and I'll, I'll maybe elaborate on that. And then the third is re- really Google Cloud, uh, and Google Cloud's a 15 billion dollar run rate, or yeah, run rate business growing at around 47 percent. Now, GCP, which is their, their cloud platform, which is really the comparable to AWS, is growing at uh, what they say a meaningful, uh, meaningfully above uh, their overall cloud. So, again, when you think of Google's cloud business, it incorporates uh, G Suite and incorporates um, Gmail and, and kind of all those tools. Azure incorporates some of their office uh, or, or their, their application solutions. AWS doesn't have the applications in the same way. So it's not really apples to apples, but what the, the clearest takeaway is that these companies are growing and growing fast and they're growing off a large dollar base. Um, so, yeah, that's my general thoughts there is how, how fast these things are growing. Another uh, uh, thing to think about is AWS and and even Google and Microsoft all announced uh, within their, their, their uh, uh, earnings reports was uh, – topics around uh, the on-premise world. So AWS within their release highlighted a- AWS Outpost and their different form factors, which is the one U and two U servers. Again, I think that's important when we, when we step back and think about the future of computing, which again is one of our innovation blocks, where it's really around this hybrid and multi-cloud environment. Google has Google Anthos. they don't They're not building that by accident. That's really a multi-cloud offering. You have uh, Azure with Azure Stack and some of their other offerings as well, which again is all about on-premise and cloud business. And then you have AWS acknowledging the on-prem business and actually building a solution for that. So I think it's important to remember that we think the future of computing is everywhere, similar to what we saw in brick and mortar retail, where it's all about omni-channel. It's all about choice. um, And we're seeing that within the cloud businesses today. I don't know if you had any additional kind of comments around Cloud, um, that maybe you wanted to share, or we can just move on.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I I think that was really well said, and I think again, right, the big three, um, the whole notion just being more and more spend shifting onto the cloud, and, and typically that was just a pure off premise thesis, and now what you're seeing, yes, is like this um, combination of everything in between as well, so hybrid infrastructure uh, and, and multi cloud infrastructure, and so, um, like you said, you know, uh, these companies are releasing new. Um, new features, new products, new capabilities uh, for their end customers, and uh, at the end of the day, right? Uh, AWS was leading the race, and now what we're seeing is kind of um, Microsoft's Azure, GCP, kind of closing that uh, product slash feature slash capability gap. Um, and of course, they're growing at uh, off of much smaller bases relative to AWS, but they're you know they're continuing to grow quickly, and uh, clearly the opportunity remains pretty large. And I think um, you know it looks like that you know in the near future. So.
0: Sure, yeah, you know, another thing to highlight quickly is, is why people are choosing one over the other. And from everyone we speak with, it, it's really AWS has been the developer's platform from, from day one, um, where you start launching and, and you, you basically have a, a massive offering of, of services and, and tools at your, your arsenal. Um, Azure is really about tapping into their enterprise relationships and those that are already using kind of the product suite of Microsoft, Um, so it's in a really easy, uh, not easy sell, but it's something that, uh, there's already brand and trust and loyalty within those systems, uh, and ease of use in terms of deployment. And then third is, is Google where, why, why do people choose Google? It's mostly around their ML and and AI capabilities. Um, and that's why people are choosing multi-cloud so they can run different types of applications or, or analyze their type of their data in different, uh, kind of, um, stacks. So that's a really important thing to consider when we think about how and and the shape of what the future of this competitive environment could look like. Um, yeah, I think that's a pretty good uh, kind of rundown of what's happening in in commerce and cloud at, at the at the high level. Now we didn't touch about Apple because Apple's kind of in its own realm. And Apple, uh, at least for me, it's it's there's different stats, and I'll let you maybe share some, but. For me, it's really about the future of Apple where um, outside of earnings is just simply the concept of them uh, either partnering or joining with um, a car manufacturer, whether it's Hyundai or, or uh, some of the, um, the whispers out there. And what we know about the car market is it's a massive market. It's one of the biggest end markets out there uh, in general, transportation and and um, and. and uh, kind of car sales. On top of that, what do we know? We know that their success within the, the Apple watch, uh, the AirPods um, the, the iPhone, obviously still being the bellwether of the business is that they're highly attached to our physical bodies uh, in uh, what we would consider the future of health um, where to be the future of health. We think the, the leaders there are going to be uh, connected devices um, so when you think of health, which, again, is one of the largest end markets as well, the future of Apple in terms of successful uh, from an investment point of view is really their success in those two larger end markets, which really um, allows them to pivot and and take what they've built in kind of technology and, and go beyond that. Um, outside of that, like what was some takeaways from you from uh, from from uh, the report?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think, first of all, right, great quarter, but then also just the at a very high level, right? Just the install base, I think that's been uh, kind of like a developing story over the past, I mean, ever since the company really um, started to pick up the pace and and it's just reiterated today, right? So their install base just being, um, whatever it is, I think 1.6 billion uh, devices out there uh, and sure. still quickly. So like you said, right? So they have all these different end markets and, and clearly very large end markets and they spoke a little bit about that. I think that was one of the questions in the call. Um, and the whole concept about like, how do they go about you know, attacking those end markets. And at the end of the day, uh, basically just leveraging where they are today in terms of the massive scale globally, right? It's not just a domestic story. So thinking about global install base and then thinking about the trajectories and um, in other countries as well, which seems to be really, really positive for them. Um, So just being able to leverage that plus uh, off of that install base, you have other things, right? Like the app store, which basically just um, enables all these uh, connected devices to interact with software. so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, clearly they're in a really strong position and uh, there's a lot of different ways this can go. And, and they're just going to be leveraging kind of that infrastructure layer position that they currently sit at um, to drive all that innovation.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. All right. Next up is uh, commerce evolution. So we, we saw a Poshmark file and then go public. Um, we had a kind of data of the week that we put out on on Fridays that um, had a couple stats that were uh uh, interesting and also uh, highlight our interest there. Uh, ThreadUp just filed an IP or is filing an IPO, similar uh, concept in kind of this circular uh, economy concept. Uh, and then My Teresa filed an IPO, uh, and that's all about bringing luxury to digital. Um, I think it was a spin out of, of Neiman Marcus. Um, here, here's a company that was brick and mortar for its whole life until maybe like seven, 10 years ago, uh, where they embraced kind of a digital first uh, motion. And that, that, that allowed them to expand to a pretty successful business uh, and really create and, and tackle uh, the commerce side of it through simply technology. We're creating experiences and networks uh, within it. Um, on top of that, I'll, I'll, I'll highlight some stuff from uh, Capri's earnings and, and tapestry. I think that's more around that brands are still relevant. Um, and how do we think about that? There's some obviously recordings of us talking about Capri in the past, but I think again, highlighting this is, was probably the hardest time for somebody that was selling uh, in a brick and mortar uh, environment that I could imagine. And both of these companies are exiting and, and are, you can't even say exiting, right? Cause COVID is still here today but exiting 2020 with less debt, uh, producing a ton of cash, higher margins, higher price um, average uh, unit per, de- or not device, but per uh, unit that they sell, revenue per unit. And when you step back and think about that, it's really kind of, how does that happen? And we think again, in brands do resonate, they do matter. Distribution channels do matter. Um, but thoughts on, on Poshmark, Up, the circular economy, uh, you have had some good data there. What, what's your general thoughts?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I think, right, just off of um, the general trend in, in online commerce, the whole story has just been about removing friction on the buyer side and on the seller side. So you want to make sure that products have uh, some sort of transparency, validity uh, for buyers. And so Amazon, right, has clearly done that with the review and the rating system. And um, so what we're seeing today, right, is these companies basically just doing the same thing Uh, And like you said, right, these companies are really, really ingrained in like what we call the circular economy. Uh, So when you think about that, thinking through, um, you know, the resale of clothing, et cetera, secondhand um, goods. And so, again, seeing these companies do that. So specifically, you know, we saw eBay launch a lot of uh, different seller tools uh, to enable them to, uh, you know, be able to better offer some sort of validity slash transparency to buyers. And this is, you know, a certified refurbished program and things like that. Um, and then similar with Poshmark thread up you know just trying to remove uh, the friction in getting people to sell their clothing uh, through these platforms i think poshmark was pretty fascinating because it took like this social media approach to uh, to the commerce problem and i think uh, you know we'll see if uh, h- how that works out but i think uh, it's an interesting angle and i think honestly it just goes to show how powerful uh, the companies that own like the eyeballs you know ie facebook google are and um, how difficult it is to reinvent a social platform from the ground up. Uh, but, yeah. you know, on the commerce front, they continue to do uh, to, to to continue to do really well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think all these companies, right, are just continuing to remove friction. I think that's the underlying trend. As they continue to do that, uh, you're gonna have more GMV flowing in. And um, as you have more GMV flowing in, they can reinvest that to continue to remove more friction. It's just this uh, virtuous cycle. And um, I, I guess another side of the story would be, right, so just kind of like more, um, Specialized slash verticalization of, of certain online retailers. So, if you think about eBay early days and, or Craigslist or something like that, you know, you're getting like secondhand goods, but it's kind of like a whole bundled solution that you go into eBay or Craigslist for. And now you're seeing companies like, uh, you know, Poshmark servicing specifically apparel. Um, so, you can't really buy a lot of stuff outside of apparel on Poshmark. Um, and then the same thing on ThreadUp and, and my Teresa, right, it's kind of doing it in a different way. So not necessarily by product type, but more so just um, the type of buyer that's going there. So the uh, high value customers that are kind of like buying everyday luxury. Um, so just much more specialized niche marketplaces doing it uh, really in a much better way than, you know, a, a total broad um, kind of like bundled marketplace can do it in. And, um, you know, I think that will continue, but that doesn't mean that the companies like eBay are, are done right. They're also continuing to react and, and innovate quickly. So,
0: yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a good point with the uh, the Poshmark and, and time spent. I mean, I think in their in the filing, the active user on average spent roughly twenty seven minutes a day on the product, right? So that speaks to just simply engagement, um, and that engagement drives uh, potentially conversion on the platform. And like you said, it's all about removing friction. I mean if you think of what Poshmark is as a business, it's really something, and again, we're not investors in Poshmark. So uh, just to throw that out there. It's it's We're just fascinated with the, the, the concepts um, and kind of the opportunity as well. But look, they have a 20% take rate. They take 20% of each transaction. And it's really the value that they're creating on the transaction side or, or removing that friction, where before it was about cleaning your closet and trying to you had a closet of, of goods and um, the way to sell that had a lot of friction prior to someone like a Proshmark and they made that experience pretty easy. I mean, the, the seller essentially gets a box or a, a prepackaged label that they can stick on a box um, that is paid by the buyer that allows this transaction to, that they can go to the post office and essentially drop it and, and move on with their day and again it, it sounds simple but in scale uh this is ultimately what they created and that, that it's they're being rewarded with a 20 percent take rate on on items above 15 bucks um but also the interest in that as i think one stat that they also threw out there is of all the buyers who activated between kind of 2012 and and i think it was like 2018 34 of the buyers then activated as sellers by the by the end of the year in 2019 so it's it's not only just buying and selling, but it's actually uh, creating this flywheel that a once a buyer or a seller realizes that they can buy or sell, they actually join this type of um, uh, circular rotating network of buying and selling on the platform. And maybe not for the good of, of actually making money, but just for the purpose of finding value. Um, and as they reduce and create more convenience, I think it's just a powerful force that's out there. Um, Now the next one I wanted to talk about, go ahead.
1: I said, I agree. I I think that was well said.
0: Nice. Yeah. So Capri, so if you think about what's happening there, right, this was a big margin story quarter for them. Um, it was also a big, uh, uh, validation of what they've built on the, on the e-commerce side, right? Luxury or mid luxury is traditionally not a, it's, it's definitely a touch and feel part of the, of commerce. Now, you still had to have the engines in place to embrace this. So I'd say Capri or Michael Kors, for example, was one of the first, if not the first, through our analysis of uh, somebody in kind of the mid-luxury to luxury space that actually had a dedicated app for the brand. Um, if you go out there, it's mostly third-party channels, right? It's the Macy's and Nordstrom's, and, and, and those typically have created the apps. Um, and they built a, an application, the Kors VIP app actually over the last three months, uh, it was the strongest three month uh, downloads over the last uh, uh, the last three months uh, on record for that app. Um, and that the quantity of that was roughly half of something like Lululemon. So we're seeing some digital traction. Again, this was done before uh, COVID and this allowed them to see 65% uh, e-commerce growth, 70% at Michael Kors, Versace saw over a hundred percent e-commerce growth, so again, the engines there were, were put in place prior. And again, this speaks to the execution of the management team, but it also speaks to brand. And brand mattered more than ever during, during COVID because when you think of purchase intent uh, during a time like COVID, it was, you, weren't trying to be, uh, you weren't trying to take a risk, right? You were trying to buy things you know. Um, and brand in online matters more than, than ever, um, because you've already built this trust layer between, um, the consumer and your brand. And what does that mean? We saw tapestry, which owns coach, uh, Kate Spades, Stuart Weitzman, they reported, uh, today on, uh, February 4th, and they saw 69% gross margins, uh, uh, Michael Kors, uh, 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 Capri saw 65, 66% gross margins. When you put that in the context of all the investment universe, I mean, this is up there with, um, for example, this is higher than Twilio, right? And we think of Twilio as like this lean kind of little asset light model. Um, But again, it just shows that brand can create margin, margin can create a flywheel where um, people embrace um, what it's doing. On top of that, last note is simply that um, um, in, a, in probably the hardest year ever, they're, they're cash flow positive. Um, if you just think about that, and, and paid down a meaningful amount of debt. Um, so, bigger, fat, or leaner, faster, stronger uh, than they were co- uh, pre COVID. And, and I think that just speaks to uh, we, we talk about the marketplace models where it's more commodity business with scale and and logistics really, really matter, and timing of that model really matter. And then you look at something like uh, the direct to consumer model, where brand is is hard to replicate, but if you get it right, it's really rewarding on the on the margin side. So I don't know what, what else you got to share for that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think you, you said it well. Historically, I think right uh, commoditized marketplaces brand has been a little bit less of a. Um, of a factor there. And we're actually now seeing companies start building brands through commoditized marketplaces via uh, things like rating and review systems, Um, which is interesting because they're, they're using that brand um, as like a powerful engine to move off of the the commoditized marketplace and decommoditize themselves, if you will. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, I mean, I think in the direct to consumer world, right, brand is going to be clearly really, really important. And, um, and, you know, through COVID uh, clearly the companies like Capri that have, uh, own these powerful luxury, um, icons that have performed really well. So.
0: Cool. Yeah. Let's skip to, um, final topic is really just around, um, financial revolution. And for us, that ultimately means is simply all the different concepts that are around, um, the financial system that we think are, are, uh, structurally being changed. Um, whether that is, whether that is uh, the shift to cashless, whether that is unbundling of uh, banking institutions, whether that's uh, creating liquidity within real estate market. Um, one company that, that reported yesterday was obviously PayPal, and some of the numbers were, were pretty profound. We saw uh, an addition of 73 million users uh, throughout 2020. Um, if, if you put that in context, they had 300 or so million users uh, at when the year started and they expect roughly fifty million users next year uh, or this year um, so quite large numbers when you think of the sheer size of of um, of of PayPal. Um, they've been a key beneficiary while we look at someone like the cloud businesses they didn't really see an acceleration in their business but we saw we're, we're seeing the continued uh, mind share shift to cloud when it comes to someone like um, PayPal, there was a clear, there were a clear winner, as it accelerated digital uh, payment adoption. Now, some other antidotes within there is Venmo's uh, 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 total payment volume grew sixty percent, forty-seven billion dollars. Um, I think we're talking about a two hundred billion dollar, roughly um, annualized run rate, growing at sixty percent, quite astounding. And we haven't got Square yet. Square obviously has done really, really well. Uh, both from fundamentally and and also uh, the sheer valuation of the business, um, but that's kind of our our general thoughts on 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 something like a PayPal. Um, on top of that, it's it's really the the concept of what's happening at someone like a Robinhood, where you have a clear innovator reducing friction on the onboarding, but at the same time um it's just another use case whether it's historically being facebook or some other organizations where you you push really fast and then all of a sudden you run into some sort of issue um that again it may be that tail risk that no one's really expecting um but it is that risk that is there and it's it's just the realization that companies can move really really fast um to take advantage of an opportunity to to remove this friction and be kind of that that leader in the space but these, the speed and lack of, let's say, um, uh, risk analysis of your tails um, could come at your, your, uh, the success of the business longer term. Now, th- w- there's a question whether this is, some question whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. We saw app downloads soar for Robinhood despite, despite uh, this. So someone out there, right? Uh, any news is good news. Type of type um, type of deal, I think they're going to be running Super Bowl ad campaigns now. Um, they raised three billion dollars, kind of overnight. Some of some of that is for uh, uh, emergency purposes, clearly, uh, and uh, some of that can potentially be used for uh, growth initiatives to take advantage of the the spotlight. Um, I don't know. I, what's your thoughts on on PayPal? Thoughts on Robinhood uh, and and anything you got there?
1: yeah so um yeah paypal right i mean i think we're excited to see square down the road but um clearly uh just thinking just in terms of consumer merchants continuing to add value there um in in that ecosystem and and that's kind of evident in the numbers right so uh, if you think about product market fit like you said um venmo gpv kind of growing or tpv growing 60 percent year over year uh you know billions of dollars and just continuing to grow really really quickly and um, Clearly, the story, I think, is far from over there. We think about all the other consumer options today and all the value that uh, these companies are creating. And one thing I always like to say is that it's very much a dynamic landscape. And so, you know, the PayPal of today, the Venmo of today, and the Cash App of today as well, um, isn't going to be the Cash App of five years from now. And I think we're starting to see that uh, as they move quicker. uh, You you see things like Cash App Borrow on on the Square side, but then PayPal as well, uh, launching a lot of... um, Value-added services and in both the consumer and the merchant side, and so very much developing landscape, and it makes it a little bit more difficult—not a lot more difficult—for the incumbents to uh, to compete there. And then on Robinhood, like you said, yeah, the past year has seen kind of like breakneck downloads. So I think I think the numbers were like 14 times whatever Schwab saw, um,
0: and then other like smaller
1: ones like Weeble was actually doing fairly well as well, um, since they only got 3x Weeble, and so. Yeah, I mean, just thinking through, like, all these innovators in the space, removing friction in the onboarding process, uh, right, democratizing finance, I think is, like, their slogan. Um, And so, clearly, uh, it it makes a lot of sense to move quickly, but then, like you said, there's always the risk at the tail end, and and nobody really knows what that means or uh, what that entails until what happens. And so, uh, you know, we have yet to see kind of how that's going to play out, but, yeah. Yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah. So I think we'll wrap there. I think there was a lot that we covered uh, some things that we own, some things that we don't. Again, uh, this was not a recommendation for purchase or selling any of these securities. Uh, But with that, I think that is really it for this version of what are they up to make sure to subscribe. We have more stuff coming out in terms of content. Uh, We, again, our our goal is always to share some of our insights and research uh, out there um, and doing so in different types of formats So make sure to subscribe and have a good weekend. We appreciate it.